0: Thank you Rachel, it's always good to have our college students home, and uh, I just can't thank you all enough, Uh, when you come home, you jump back in, and some of you are singing in the choir, and others of you are working other parts of the ministry, teaching and working with children, and Rachel singing solos, and I can't tell you what an encouragement is to me, when our uh, college, uh, I say kids, you're not really a kid anymore. Uh, most of them aren't kids anymore, but I can't thank you enough. Uh, you're a great encouragement to me for following the Lord and continuing to get to know him more and love him more. And I uh, thank you for that song. That went was perfect before the sermon this morning. John chapter 5 is where we're going to be at in our study of the book of John. John chapter 5. I hope, as Rachel was singing, I hope that you're that as she was singing maybe a song you aren't even familiar with, as she came back through it again a second time, uh, at least on the chorus, I, I hope that your heart was drawn out to sing that or to think those words as a prayer to the Lord, that your heart is drawn out to know your Savior more. Isn't it a wonderful truth that the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ lives within us? He goes with us. He never leaves us. He never forsakes us. He goes with us everywhere we go. And uh, no matter how we're tempted, no matter what pressures of life come to bear, that Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, lives within us, and he's there to protect us, he's there to comfort us and encourage us, but also to uh, convict us and to keep us from falling into sin and to not let us go. Um, do you ever feel like sometimes you're, you're going the wrong way and you you almost don't have the power not to go that way. Do you ever feel that way? Everyone's too scared to move right now. But every one of us knows that feeling and uh, that, that reality of the inability of our flesh to overcome. Um, but we who are saved have been born again. We've been made alive. And the Spirit of Christ lives within us. And he won't let us go. He will keep us and, and if we'll say yes to him, we can, there is no temptation that you and I cannot have victory over. We can have, we can have victory over every temptation. And, uh, and as your pastor, that, that rejoices my heart. Because I look out at this room, and there are all kinds of temptations that, are, that, that you've gone through, some even this week, um, different trials and different tests. I would ask that you be in prayer for uh, Robert Jennings. Many of you know Robert and Kathy Jennings. They're very faithful and gathering with the church. Been saved now for over 10 years. Uh, Robert is in ICU at McLaren Hospital. Um, Kathy doesn't mind me sharing some things with you, but um, he's struggling on many fronts in his physical body, and uh, he's still able to communicate to some degree. This morning he was a little bit better than yesterday, uh, I had an interesting conversation with his surgeon yesterday, something that never happened before, but after Kathy had to make a hard decision regarding her husband, she started to walk away, and I with her, and the surgeon grabbed me by the arm and pulled me back. He talked to me for about 20 minutes, and he came and he found me a little bit later and talked for me for another 20 minutes, and he was really struggling. Um, it was one of those things with Robert's life, and, and the surgeon basically said this, if we do this, he's probably going to die. If we do nothing, he's probably going to die. And he didn't say the words, I don't know what to do. But he, that surgeon who is a brilliant man, uh, that surgeon was at a loss. There was nothing he could do to save Robert Jennings. And so I was able to share the gospel with this surgeon about how God is going to heal Robert one way or the other. And I was able to share the, the Jennings testimony about how God saved their souls years ago. And, uh, Sometimes as a pastor, I struggle with a God complex, because I want to help and save everyone. But I don't have it in myself to save anyone. And I think as a surgeon, and as a doctor, you probably struggle with that too. Because you want to help everybody, that's why you're in it. And he was struggling. I got to tell you, I was really encouraged to see a man who was humble, and uh, who was honest. And uh, so you might pray for that surgeon as well, but... Uh, pray for Kathy. She's doing a great job going through this, but Robert is very close to death. Um, and uh, But you know what? He's not going to die unless God chooses that for him at this time, okay? So, But be praying for Kathy and Robert, and uh, she had, she's asked me to ask you to pray for, for them both. Uh, we've been studying here in the Gospel of John. Chapter 5 is where we're at. Um, of course, the beginning part of chapter 5, we have this, this paralyzed man uh, near the, the uh, sheep market at a pool which is called Bethesda, and uh, this, this man, along with many other people, would wait for the moving of the waters, the stirring of the waters, and then they would, whoever could be first to the water, the, the thought was that they would be healed. This man had been there for how many years? Do you, anybody remember how many years he'd been there? or have been paralyzed? 38 years. Um, have you ever gone through something in your life and you just felt like it, you can go on as long as it's over? Just let it be over, and it'll be okay. You know, Whatever it's going to be, just let it be over. Uh, but I can't keep going on the way it is anymore. And sometimes we feel hopeless because what is never seems to... There never seems to be, That doesn't seem like there's going to be an end to it. And there's a hopelessness, there's a helplessness. And that man had been there for 38 years, and uh, Jesus Christ healed him. And you remember, though, then that man went and told the religious leaders of the day, the Jews, they, he identified Jesus to them. This is the man who's healed me on the Sabbath. And the men, the religious Jewish leaders, hated Jesus. They hated him. And... Uh, and that brings us now to this, period, this, this portion of Scripture, most of, the, of chapter 5, where we find Jesus is actually telling the Jewish religious leaders who hate him who he is. It's a tremendous description of who Jesus Christ is. And I've challenged you with a thought for a few weeks now, it's one thing to know Bible verses that encourage our hearts. It's one thing to know Bible doctrine upon which our faith is based. But it is sometimes an entirely different thing to know the person of the Bible, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Sermons are needful. Uh, Memorizing verses is needful. But it's possible to hear a sermon and not know the person of the sermon. It's possible to read the Bible and not know the person of the Bible. It's possible to memorize verses and not know the person of the verses. It's impossible to know the person of the Bible and not receive his word. And my my desire for every one of us in this room as, as Christ followers is that we would know the person of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him? And not just a theological intellectual knowing him but i mean a knowing him where in your life in your trial at your age at your stage of life in whatever you're going through as your pastor i can't save you i can't deliver you from the temptation or the emotion of the trials or the hopelessness of this flesh that you and i have but i know the one who can And many of you know him too. You've received him. He saved your souls from death and hell. God wants you to know the person of the Bible, okay? And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier, um, or in another passage in in the gospel, according to Luke, in chapter 9, Jesus was praying alone. His disciples were with him, and he asked them a question. He said, whom say the people that I am? And they answering said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. Some people were saying Jesus was John the Baptist. Others were saying that he had been, was a prophet from the past, raised from the dead. And Jesus asked his disciples this question. He said, but whom say ye that I am? And Peter answering said, the Christ of God. Peter looked at Jesus and he said, you're the the Messiah. You're the the Christ. In essence, he was saying you are God. And so my question to us as we're looking at this second half of a message a couple weeks ago, who do you believe that Jesus is? Who is he? Do you know him? You say, well, he he was born in Bethlehem. He laid in a manger and He was sinless. There's a lot of things we could describe him, a lot of words we could describe him with. But who did Jesus say that that he was? Let's look here at our text, John chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 17. John chapter 5, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 17. And and I'll not read the whole chapter. In verse 17, it says this, but Jesus, in chapter 5, but Jesus answered them, And he says, My father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore, the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he seeth the Father do. For what things soever he doeth, these also doeth the Father likewise. For the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these, that ye may marvel. For as the Father raiseth up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son, that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life, and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. By the way, the Son of Man is a term for Jesus uh, that is found in the book of Daniel. Verse 28, he says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of Let's stop there and let's pray. And then let's look at these verses as, and and don't miss this, as Jesus Christ himself describes to us who he is. You need him. You need him. Without him is is, is, is to have no life, is to be dead. Without him is to be hopeless. Without him is to be helpless. You and I need him. And to know him, we must listen to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, help us, I pray, as we look at your word. um, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak this morning by the power of your word and by the power of your might to the hearts of everyone in this room. Lord, I know that you will not pry open hearts. I know that you give grace to the humble. And so for those who are humble here this morning who long to know Christ, To long to to be encouraged by him and to be strengthened by him and to live a life pleasing to you. To those hearts, I pray, may you pour out your grace by your word, by your spirit, and meet needs in this room in a way that I could never meet them. Glorify yourself through your word, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, for time's sake, we're not not going to go through all of it, but I do want to remind you of three thoughts that we looked at from a couple of weeks ago. I I hate that they're spread apart by two weeks, and if today's your very first time with us or you weren't uh, here for the first part of this particular message in our study, I am sorry. I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. I hate listening to myself personally, but uh, the truths, I'm going to touch on them this morning, but... You, you need them. And so I encourage you to go back and, and listen to them. Uh, I noticed, first of all, as we're considering who Jesus is and really wh- who Jesus said that he was, it's really Christ teaching about himself. I notice first of all, that Jesus said that he was equal with the Father in his nature. Now, we're not going to take much time with it, but look back at verse 17. Uh, he's talking to these people who were persecuting him. They were hunting him down with hostility, it says in verse 16, Therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Jesus had not broken his father's laws, but he had broken their man-made laws, which they made out of their arrogance. But in verse 17, we see that Jesus is telling them who he is, and Jesus looked at them and says, I'm equal with the Father, in my nature, or in my essence. In verse 17 it says this But Jesus answered them, and he said, My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. Therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him, because he not only had broken the Sabbath, but said also that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Now, uh, remember, here stands in Jerusalem this man, Jesus. Uh, we don't have a photograph of him. We don't know exactly. We don't know what color his eyes were or his hair. We don't know how tall he was. Uh, we know that his father was a carpenter. And in Israel, uh, to be a carpenter is not so much to work with wood as it is to work with stone. If you've ever shaken the hand of a stonemason, their hands are massive, their hands are gnarled, they're worn, strong, tough. Okay, Jesus was not effeminate, um, but he was a Galilean. Have you ever talked to, have you ever found yourself talking to someone and they're from uh, the Upper Peninsula? You know that. How? A, okay, they have a certain way they talk. Uh, There are different uh, uh, accents or dialects even. Different parts of the country have that, uh, even within certain states. Well, in Israel, they would have been, of course, speaking in Hebrew to one another. So they, he wasn't saying A. Don't leave here this morning thinking Jesus was saying A, like a youper. Um, But the Galileans had a very distinct dialect. Um, and the Galileans, to some degree, were kind of known as being backward. Okay, now, Mrs. Roberts, are you here? She's away, okay. So I won't pick on her for being from the Upper Peninsula. I was born there, too. Uh, some in the south tend to think of the, upper, the Eupers as being a little bit backward, but none of you do. So that's good. You're kind. Um, but in, the, in Israel, the Galileans were kind of looked at like as being backward a little bit. So here we have in Jerusalem, which is the hub, the religious hub of the world, and especially of Judaism. Uh, here they are on the Temple Mount. Um, and here stands this man, who, Jesus, who's being accused, and they hate him, and they want to put him to death because he's just healed this paralyzed man who's had this for 38 years. No one else cares about him. And Jesus approaches him and says, would you like to be healed? You know, in the sense, and the man is, sure. And, and Jesus says, rise up, take your bed and walk. And this man does so. And now these, these, these religious Jewish people want Jesus dead. And here stands Jesus, and he's robed. He's wearing Galilean garments. He's wearing, uh, his feet are going to be dirty. He's going to have his sandals on. He's a, a carpenter, okay? His hands are rugged. And now he looks at these men and begins to describe to these men who hate him and want him dead who he is, who he really is. And he starts out by saying, basically, and and they got the message, I and my Father are one. You You don't have one without the other. And he's saying, I am God. That's what he's saying. And they are just a Galilean, dressed like this, talking like that. And they're not believing it. They're not buying it. But Jesus tells us, and he told them, he says that he is equal with the Father in his essence, in his nature, in his quality, in his character. Jesus is not less than the Father, and I want you to know that. Because as we go out from this place, and as you go out through this next week, and whatever it is that life is going to throw at you, and that's a worldly way to say that, whatever it is that God brings into your life, allows into your life, no matter if it's a temptation. And though God does not tempt us with evil, he does allow it. So whether it's a temptation to sin or, or whether it's heartache and loss and grief, Jesus, by his Spirit who lives within you, is not anything less than God the Father, God Almighty. You see, you have what you need to go through this life. So Jesus is not less than the Father. And Jesus was saying, I am the same essence, I am the same character, I am the same quality as God. Now, uh, I notice, secondly, and just very quickly, that Jesus says he's equal with the Father in his works. Look at verse 19. Then answered Jesus and said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he seeth the Father do. For what things whoever he doeth? these also doeth the Son. Likewise, for the Father loveth the Son and showeth him all things uh, that himself doeth, and he will show him greater works than these that ye may marvel. And so Jesus here is saying, I'm equal with my Father in his works. I'm equal with my Father in his works. The Son of Man can do nothing of himself, he says. In other words, Jesus was saying that he didn't operate independently from God. There were no secrets, and there are no secrets within the Trinity. The Father doesn't know something, and God knows everything, that the Son does not know. Jesus Christ is fully God. And when he was on earth, though he took upon himself, though God took upon himself the form of a man, a human being, a human body, Jesus was not less than God in any way. Okay, He knew everything then. He knew everything. He was God in humanity, in human form. And so they, they're in perfect harmony doing the work of God as one. And that's hard to comprehend, and we're going to move on from that. We took time for it last uh, a couple weeks ago. Thirdly, we saw from verse 21 that Jesus says that he is equal with the Father in his power. Look at verse 21. For as the Father raised, raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. So Jesus was saying to these men, I am the giver of life. Now remember, uh, you know, we here we are in church and everyone's dressed and we got this air conditioning and we're... We're attending church. We're having a church service. But try to try to imagine this. Jesus here is being accused of healing a man on Saturday, the Sabbath day, breaking their human laws. They want him dead. They engage him in conversation. He's telling him, them who he is. How would you have responded to him? How would, how would you respond to him if Jesus were revealing himself to you? How are you responding as Jesus is revealing Himself to you through His words? Are 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 do, do you are you like me at times where you find yourself going through life and you're complaining and and you don't and you, and you kind of have this attitude or air about you that you don't have what you need for the task at hand and God's kind of forsaken you and left you alone. Do you ever do you ever struggle with that at all? You don't have to move a muscle. Am I the only one? You see, sometimes we, we try to go through life, we try to navigate life as if Jesus doesn't exist, as if He, as if what He has said about Himself and giving Himself to us by His Spirit, in the fullness of the in us dwelleth all the fullness of, of the Godhead bodily. And we tend to have an attitude sometimes that we don't have what we need for life. And that's a lie. In fact, that attitude is kind of the attitude that these men had, these religious leaders had, when they were looking at Jesus, and he's describing to them, this is who I am. I am the Messiah. And the religious leaders, the religious, the most religious men in Israel looked at him, and they said, no, you aren't. They resented him. I wish I couldn't understand what they were thinking. I wish I didn't know what it is like to hear and to know who God is by his words, but to think that he isn't enough. But I do know what that's like. These religious leaders are being told by Jesus, I am equal with God, I'm equal with the Father, I, I am equal with Him in His works, I am equal with Him in His power. In, in a sense, what Jesus is saying here is, I am the giver of life. And, and, and back in chapter 1, he, he talked. John ta- told us about this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And Jesus is standing here before these men. He's saying, I am the giver of life. And as we mentioned last week, there is no greater power than that, to give life. And that's what that surgeon was struggling with yesterday, yesterday evening, about 3.30, yesterday afternoon. And in his heart, he can't give life. I put my, my hand on his arm, and I said, you're doing a good job. This is a no-win, this is a, you're in a, I do not envy your position. I do not envy your position. And his attitude was, what do I, I don't know, what do I do? And he didn't say, I don't know what to do. But he didn't know what to do. I don't envy your position. But you can't give life. God is the giver of life. And Jesus here is saying that He is the giver of life. Jesus has the power to make something exist that doesn't already exist. He has the ability to give life. In John 11, Jesus said unto, unto her, I am the resurrection, and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And that brings us to where we left off. And look at verse 22, uh, a fourth characteristic or a description of Jesus by his own lips. I see, fourthly, Jesus is equal with the Father in his authority. Look at verse 22 of John 5. Verse 22, he says this, For the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. So what is Jesus saying to these men? This, this Galilean man, Jesus, is saying to these religious leaders that he has all authority, is the same authority that the Father has. Genesis 18 and verse 25, Abraham, in regards to Sodom and Gomorrah, asked God this question. You Remember Abraham trying to get God to spare Sodom? And he asked God this question, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So my question to you is, is God the Father a judge, yes or no? Yes, he is. But in verse 22, the Father judgeth no man, but hath committed all judgment unto the Son. You know, these inner workings between the Father and the Son and the Spirit are really hard for us to comprehend, aren't they? I mean, how is Jesus God and with God at the same time? How is Jesus God and yet separate from God? If you're asleep, this isn't bothering you at all. If you're awake and thinking at all, your your eyes keep going together. You're trying to comprehend something that's not comprehensible. How how can Jesus be God and, and with God and how can he be God and separate from God? How is God the Father the judge of all the earth and yet Jesus doing all the judging? And that's what this is saying. How can all of this be? And the answer is because Jesus does all that the Father does in the same way the Father does it. In verse 22, Jesus is claiming to be the supreme judge of all you remember in chapter 3 and verse 18 that those that reject Christ are already condemned? In chapter 3 and verse 18 it says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Some weeks ago, I, as we were studying that passage out, I, I made the statement um, which never before had dawned on me, people don't go to hell because they are unloved. And people don't even go to hell because of sin. People go to hell because they will not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only reason. According to chapter 3 and verse 18, people are already condemned. They will not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Their sin has already been paid for. It just, the sacrifice just has to be applied. They just have to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is in Him, life is in Him. It's not sin that takes people to hell. It's not the judgment of God ultimately that takes people to hell because He has made a way through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is simply because people will not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the only reason people go to hell. Someday, someday the one who was rejected, someday Jesus, who these Hebrew, these religious leaders rejected, someday he's going to be their judge. And that's what he's saying in verse 22. Fifthly, I noticed, Jesus says that he is equal with the Father in the honor due him. The honor due him. Not everybody is honorable. You understand what I mean by that? Some people are not honorable people. They don't deserve honor. It would be wrong to give them honor. But Jesus is honorable. And not just honorable, but he is equal with the Father in the honor that is due him. Now, this isn't a startling claim, I think. Look at verse 23. He says that all men should honor the Son. (laughs) He's standing here in his sandals and his Galilean garments with his Galilean accent. He says that all men should honor the Son even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son honoreth not the Father which sent him. I mean, these guys had to be flaming mad. I mean, they had to be seething. Oh, how they hated him. They hated him so much. And Jesus is saying that he as the Son of God, the Son of the Father, is due the same honor that the Father is due. No, well why? Could would be our question. Well, since Jesus Christ is the reason that we exist, He is our creator, because He is the one who rules on our eternal destiny whether we will go to heaven or whether we will go to hell, because he is the beginning and the end, Jesus Christ is to be honored as the Father is honored. How should we respond to the Creator? How should we respond to our Creator this week when he speaks to us with that still, small voice? That we don't hear an audible voice, but he is leading us a certain way. Will we honor him? We took a whole year, and our theme for the year was, I will honor God. Do you remember that theme? I will honor God. Is Is it natural for us to honor him? Is it our natural tendency to honor him? Yes or no? No, it's not. It's not our natural tendency. Our flesh is going the other way. But this week, and not just this week, but Every day of our lives, we have a choice either to honor him or to dishonor him. In every decision we make, in every relationship we we have with people, in our business dealings, in the direction as men that we're leading our homes, I have a choice to either honor God, honor my Savior who lives within me, who gave himself for me, or to dishonor him. I have the, the ability to give weight to what he is telling me by his spirit, through his word, or I have the ability to choose to dishonor him and to sigh and brush it aside and go my way anyway. And Jesus is looking here and he's telling us and he's telling them about himself and he's telling us that he is due the same honor that is due God the Father. He is our creator. He is the sustainer of of all life. So how should we respond to the one who will someday rule and reign for all of eternity? He is, the, he is going to rule and reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And many of us in this room, and when I when you hear that statement, William will use that statement sometimes, king of kings and ward of wards. And it's the cutest thing. And I love hearing him talk about it. He doesn't really know a lot of what he's talking about, but he knows that Jesus is going to Rule as king of kings and and ward of wards. And you know what? For those of us who know the word of God better than William knows it, we think about that day and we long for that day. Don't you long for that day? Where sin no longer has any dominion in any area. Whether it be in our lives or our friends' lives or our loved ones' lives. Isn't that a day to think of and long for? I long for that day where Satan will be put in his place and the flesh no longer will have any influence in our lives. So that is a day to long for. But I, I, as, as I read this passage and I think about this truth, that he deserves that kind of honor because that is who he is. You and I, as children of God, can live today saying yes to him and giving him that rightful place in our lives. We long for him to have that rightful place in the world don't, do we not? We long for that. Oh, that that would be the case. That Christ would have the honor that is due him. And yet at the same time, I myself dishonor him. You don't have to not. I challenge us this morning, let us, as we leave this place, Worshiping our Savior, let us leave with a heart and a longing and a prayer of, God, help me to honor my Savior this week. In John chapter 6, it says, Then they said unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? The question, in other words, was, What does God want out of us? What do I need to do to please God? And many of us would ask that question. In the very next passage in chapter 29 of or verse 29 of John 6, Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. You want to do the work, you want to do the work of God? Do I, want to, do I want to do the work of God? Then believe on him. Allow him to have his rightful place in your life. Allow him to have his rightful place in my life. Don't diminish him, you see. For me to sin, I have to choose to diminish him. I have to minimize him. I have to make him less than he is. He doesn't have the power to give me victory over the temptation. Or I have to minimize his holiness. He wouldn't care. He'd be okay with fill in the blank or to allow myself to give in to worry and anxiety, no matter how difficult the situation may be, I have to minimize my Savior. Now, I'm not minimizing our humanity either, because life is challenging. Life can be hard at times. There is such a thing as grief. So there is a humanity element, but greater is he than that is in us. Is he not greater? And so I could ask myself the question, do I want to do the works of God? And the answer would be yes. So the answer then is we'll trust Christ. And there might be some here this morning and you would say, you know, I've never trusted him as my personal savior, but you're here this morning and and you've come and you've gathered at a church. We have a sign and we have a building and we have service times. And so we fit the bill of most churches today. and, And maybe you're seeking the truth. And you would say to me, Pastor Seth, I want to do the work of God. I, I want to be used by God. I, I run into people like this from time to time, and they're looking at all those areas of social programs, trying to find something that will satisfy their, uh, their longing to do something good. And some even will go so far as to serve the Lord, or to serve God, or do the works of God. Well, the first work of doing God's will would be to come to repentance, Turn away from your self-dependence. Turn away from your self-righteousness and the goodness that you're looking to try to draw out of yourself and and just say, I am who I am. I'm a sinner. and, And God alone can save me and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. and Let Him save you. And let Him take up residence in your life by His Holy Spirit and lead you and guide you and instruct you. There are Uh, more than a couple hundred people in this room this morning who have come to that place in our lives. We've stopped looking into ourselves for an inner goodness, and we've said, Lord, we are sinners from head to toe. Would you you save us from our sinfulness? And, And we're trusting him. We're trusting him, and I encourage you to do that as well this morning. Don't lean on your own understanding. And this would fit for those of us who are believers. Some of us, uh, we, we're trying to lean on our own understanding, and it, boy, is it disturbing. We're, we're, we're so vexed. Let's trust Christ to guide us and direct us through this life. Let's wait upon him. Let's, in all of our ways, acknowledge him and let him direct our paths. You see, when, when we honor Christ in our lives, we are who we're supposed to be. And we are where we are supposed to be. And we are doing what we are supposed to be. Many of us here this morning would say, I want to be who I'm supposed to be. I want to be who God wants me to be. Or Some of us would say, where is it that God wants me to be? Does God want me to be serving him in that state or in this state or in this ministry or in that ministry or... Or many of us would say, I want to be doing what, what, what I'm supposed to be doing before the Lord. Well, do this. If you will honor Jesus Christ with the honor that is due the Father, you will be who you are supposed to be. You will be where you are supposed to be, and you will be doing what you are supposed to be doing. You know, as husbands and wives, we need to honor the Lord in our marriages do. That we'll be who we ought to be in our marriages. In every area of our lives. In verse 24, as we wrap things up, Jesus makes this statement that he's equal with the Father in truth. Look at verse 24. He says, verily, verily. I'm going to read on in just a moment, but those words mean truly, truly. And he says this, truly, truly, or verily, verily, against the backdrop of the deception and the lies of the religious leaders. The lies and the deception that the religious leaders of Israel were believing and teaching. And what was their lie? What was the lie of these religious leaders? The lie of the, these religious leaders was that the salvation, that, or that salvation in general, was possible to attain by keeping their laws. Their lie was that Jesus was not the Messiah. And to have eternal life, he says in verse 24, you have to hear and believe the truth. You have to believe upon Jesus Christ. In John 14, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Well, what is eternal life? Well, eternal life is to escape from condemnation. It's to escape from judgment. Eternal life only comes to those who hear God's word and believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. To have eternal life, you must come to Jesus Christ. There is no salvation in any other name. Only in the name of Jesus Christ. And... He is telling them here, in verse 24, that he is equal with the Father in truth. In John 3, and verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I'm reminded that it's impossible to believe if you haven't heard. If you haven't heard. Romans 10 tells us, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God to be saved. A person must believe what has come from God. That is, he must believe Jesus Christ. You remember, that's what he says in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word. And God sent the word to the earth. And you remember the word, what is the word? It is the revelation of God in human flesh. Jesus God in human flesh. You want to know God? Look at Jesus. You want to know who God is? Listen to Jesus. Listen to his teachings. You can't know the Father without coming by the Son. And this is true in both the Old and the New Testaments. All of the teachings, all of the claims, all of the commands that come from Christ in the the New Testament, and all of the prophecies about Christ that were given in the Old Testament... They must all be believed. Why? Because they're equally true. They're truth. Anybody who says that Jesus is inferior to God fails to understand who Christ is. And they're putting their eternal soul in jeopardy. The Mormon cult believes that Jesus is a created spirit brother to Lucifer, who was created by a God, who was created by another God. And there are some very moral Mormons, family-oriented, admirable qualities, but they reject that Jesus is God. And there is no salvation. You see, what we gather around, it's not just a religion. It's not certainly not a man-made religion. It's not just religion that brings us together. It's the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ who lives within us who is teaching us the Word of God and giving us life to live. Hebrews chapter 1 is basically, uh, at least in the first few verses, speaking of some, a very, giving us a very similar description of what Jesus is giving us of himself in John chapter 5. Listen to what it says there in Hebrews chapter 1. In verse 1 it says this, God, who at sundry times, many different times, and in diverse manners spake in time past, unto the fathers, by the prophets. So, in other words, throughout history, in many ways, the revelation of God to mankind was in fragments. Many different penmen. Hundreds of years passed. The word of God was not given in one writing. Hundreds and hundreds of years over generations, through many different penmen, The prophets received many portions of truth about God, but it was only a fragmentary revelation of God. And John is making it very clear to us that Jesus is the full revelation of God to us. Jesus Christ, God more fully revealed himself to mankind. Listen as I read from verse 2 of Hebrews 1. It says, Hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the world's. So not just some facets of himself, as in the Old Testament, but Christ is, is God revealed in his fullness. The Old Testament revealed the Messiah, I could say, in, in uh, bits and pieces. It was hard to put the, the, all the different colors together into one picture to see the Messiah clearly separate colors but in the new testament and especially the gospel according to John God is revealed to us in pure blazing light clearly this is God In the old testament you have to piece it together and you can get a picture you can see who the Messiah is and you can get you can get to know his character and his nature and who he is but it takes a great deal but but in the new testament especially in the gospel of John there he is standing there And you see his compassion, and you see his righteousness, and his holiness, and his justice, and yet you see his love, and his grace, and his mercy. This is God, the Savior of the world. In verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 1, it says, Who being the brightness of his glory, and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of of his majesty on high. Hebrews is saying that Jesus Christ is the beginning of all things. He's the creator. It was through Christ that God made the heavens and the earth. And in verse 2, he says, world's not... He uses a different Greek word, "ion," instead of cosmos, which stresses that Christ didn't just make the earth and its complex systems of life, but that Christ created time and space and energy and force and matter and everything. And we've already covered this. But this is who your Savior is. This is who never leaves you nor forsakes you. This is who loves you and loves me, even who we are. Knowing everything about us. I think that's one of the most wonderful things about love. Genuine love is when you have somebody who loves you for who you are, knowing everything about you, there is not much anything greater than that. And that is your Savior who loves you and will not leave you or forsake you. And he, is, he has this power, and so Christ made it all. Christ is the center of all things, not just the beginning, but he is the center of all things. He sustains everything by the word of his power, God appointed his son to be the heir of all things. And not only was everything made by Jesus Christ, but everything was made for him. Do you know that? Colossians 1 and verse 16 says, For by him were all things created, we all know that, Christ created all things, that are in heaven, that are in the earth, invisible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. This is why Jesus Christ is the one in the book of Revelation who claims the title deed to the earth and takes back the universe as his own. He is the ultimate heir of everything because he's the creator of everything. He made the worlds, and they were made by him and for him. I ought to leave this place, and after studying this, it is influencing me in this sense. He owns me. He made me, and he owns me. I belong to him. I belong to him. I am not my own. He's the beginning and the last. He ends with a fascinating paragraph. Verse 24, we've started it going down through verse 29. Of course, he says, verily, verily. In other words, pay attention to this. What I'm about to say is so very important, and he talks about four different resurrections. He talks about the resurrection of sinners unto eternal life. Look again at verse 24 of John 5. Verse 24, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. And then in verse 25, he says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. He talks about sinners being raised unto eternal life. This is a hope that many of us have in this room. Many of us have laid loved ones to rest knowing that God is going to resurrect their bodies. You know, every lost sinner is spiritually helpless and hopeless as a body as, as is a body that is physically dead. There's no life there. A lost sinner is helpless to save himself, and he cannot give himself life. And, and how, are, how are spiritually dead sinners made alive? Well, at verse 24, he tells us eternal life comes by hearing God's word and by believing upon God's Son. Jesus healed the paralyzed man, right? Back in verses 8 and 9, at the pool of Bethesda, by the power of his word, he told him to stand up. Take up his bed and walk for the power of his word. And every time Jesus raised somebody from the dead that's recorded for us, he spoke his word. He did it in Luke chapter 7 and chapter 8 and then in John chapter 11. And God, God's word is living and it is powerful. Hebrews 4 and verse 12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Everlasting life, do you have that? Everlasting life means that all those who believe upon Jesus Christ can never die spiritually again. Nor will the believers in Christ be brought into judgment. But to hear God's word and believe upon Jesus Christ is salvation. In verse number 26, he tells us that the resurrection of our Lord uh, he he tells uh, these men of of his resurrection himself. In verse 26, he says it this way, verily, or excuse me, verse 26, for as the, Lord, as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself. You know, our life is, we get that from someone else. I got my life from my parents. You got your life from your parents. We... We're given our lives by God. So life is not original with us, but life is original with God. In John 1 and verse 4, it says, In him was life. Why why was it impossible for the grave to hold Jesus? The answer to that is because he is the prince of life. He laid his life down, and he had the power to lay it down, and he had the power to take it back. He is the prince of life. No, no man, none of us in this room has that kind of power. But Jesus does, and he is the giver of life because he is life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In verse 28 and 29, he talks about a future resurrection of life when believers are raised from the dead. Look at verse 28. He says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good under the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. There's going to be a resurrecting of the physical bodies that are laid to rest, and not just those who are saved, but those who are unsaved too. Think about that for just a moment. What is going to happen to those who are raised from the dead who are saved? Well, God says he's going to make that body anew, like unto his body. There will be no more death, there will be no more sickness or sorrow, no more illness, no more frailty. But to those who are raised from the dead who have not believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, he says at the end of verse 29, And they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. There's the judgment seat of Christ, which is a place of reward for all believers. To be rewarded for living this life, saying yes to the Spirit of God and taking God at His word. When, when we didn't feel like it, when it was going against the, the flow of our society, when we were weak. He was strong, and there will be a place of reward that someday for those of us who have said yes to him. There's also another judgment. It's called the the, the great white throne judgment. And that judgment is a place of condemnation for all who did not believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is going to raise their physical bodies from the dead. And they are going to stand before him, and they are going to give an account for everything in this life. And his parting words will be, depart from me, ye workers of iniquity, I never knew you. At the end of verse 29, they are fearful words and they are terrible words. He says, and they that have done evil under the resurrection of damnation. I think sometimes we look at death almost as an escape. Some people. You know what, the individual might say, you know what, I'm going to live my life however I want and I'm going to die and that's going to be it. This passage says, you are going to die, but you are still going to give an account to God. He is the judge. He is the judge. Have you ever wondered, you know, we have these laws. We have these these laws in our land that are man-made. Have you ever had a law that you disagreed with? Anybody? Any laws you disagree with? Like the speed limit? You drive like you disagree with it, right? Right? Okay, so there's some laws we disagree with. You know, some of, some would say, some people disagree on abortion, whether it should be legal or illegal in our country. But the reality is, whether we agree with God or not really doesn't matter because he is the judge. I mean, it matters in that it affects how we live. But if I disagree with God, it really doesn't, make it less right than it already is because he is the judge he is the maker of the law he is the enforcer of the law and I as his creation am accountable to him here in chapter 5 jump ahead to verse 37 and 38 and we'll pray it says there in verse 37 Jesus says this and the father himself which hath sent me hath borne witness of me Ye, speaking to these ungodly religious men, ye have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his shape. And ye have not his word abiding in you for whom, ye, for whom he hath sent. Him ye believe not. Jesus looked at these men and he says, you don't know God. He's talking to the religious of the religious. All kinds of laws, tremendous knowledge and understanding. Tremendous wisdom. He looks at them and he says, you don't even know who God is. He sent me. He sent his son. And you're looking at him and you reject him. My question as we close this morning is, what, what are you doing with the Lord Jesus Christ? Many of us claim to know God, but we can't know him outside of the person of Jesus. We can't know God, the Father, outside of his Son. We either have him and have life, or we do not have life. And we who are saved, we who do know him, in, in that sense, salvation, forgiveness of sin and, and salvation from death and hell in the future, let us not go into this week with a helpless attitude or a hopelessness as if he does not exist. And we have looked at it in detail, and I've taken more time than I wanted, but you and I need to go through this, way, this week knowing the person of the Bible he deserves the honor due God. He has the power of God. He is God. He is equal with him. He is everything that we need. And we can go into this week and through this week with that kind of strength and assurance that he is who is all-powerful and all-knowing and everywhere at once is living within me and living through me. I have what I need. I can be content with what I have. I can be victorious this week because of Jesus Christ.